20 years or so, right after this incredible event that we celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, about 20 years, a man named Paul, some of us in church call him the apostle, Apostle Paul writes a letter to a group of Christians who are gathered in a church in a city called Corinth. And in this letter, he writes this, and we're going to look at a portion of it today. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. One of the challenges and problems of the English word hope is that it's really weak. When we think of the word hope, it's weak because it's in the context of, you know, I, what, I hope so. It doesn't have a a level of certainty and an assurance, and it's weak. It literally means, I'm not quite sure. I hope so, but I'm not really sure. Let me tell you what the word hope means in the Bible. In the Bible, hope refers to joyful conviction based on compelling evidence. Hope in the Bible is joyful conviction based on compelling evidence. So when Paul says that we have a hope in Christ, he is saying we have a hope that goes beyond this life. We have a hope that allows us to face anything. Is that good news? Historians say that there was an un sinkableness about the early Christians. And you can read about it. There was an unsinkableness about early Christians, a stubborn buoyancy about them. You sank them, and they kept coming back up again and again and again. It seemed like the world was on top of them, but they lived as if they were on top of the world. There are historic evidence and documents that they were thrown to the lions, and as they were thrown to the lions, they sang. They sang. I imagine they sang maybe, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. They had a hope and a conviction that enabled them to face the worst that life could throw at them. Maybe you're sitting here going, I'm not being thrown at lions. You know what you are facing today. Maybe you're facing lumps. Maybe you went to the doctor and the doctor said, it might be cancer. We need to do a biopsy. Let me ask you a question. Can you face that? Let me ask you a question. Can you look at cancer in the face and say, you're just going to make me stronger? Can you look at, you know, your past that continues to haunt you? And I know there's some of you sitting here today, and you are haunted by your past. You're sitting here today, and condemnation, regret, just haunts you, can you look at your past and say, oh, you're not going to get me down? The early Christians had hope that enabled them to face anything. And I'm, I don't know, I don't know about you, but I look at Easter, and Easter continues to challenge me about my low expectations of Christianity. Hello, anybody? Easter reminds me that I've settled for too little. Easter reminds me that my expectations as a follower of Jesus is too small. Because when Jesus says, believe in me and you will receive the resurrection into your life, let's be clear about one thing. He's not saying Jesus came so that you could, you know, have a little inspiration, you know, so you can kind of get through the problems of life. Jesus says, I have come and I have given you life so that you can look at death and say, you're just going to make me stronger. You can look at anything in life and say, the lower you lay me, the higher you will raise me. That's why Paul says, because he's in Christ, he doesn't say, by grace of God, I think I do, 
or by the grace of God, I do what I do. He literally says, by the grace of God, man, I am what I am. He literally says, when Christ comes into your life, you're talking about a whole new dimension of life, a whole dimension of being. You become a, you become a brand new person. It's able to face anything in life. I don't know where you are as you walked in this morning. But we're going to center around this word hope throughout this sermon. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to keep pressing you. Do you have this kind of hope that allows you to face cancer, death, tragedy, injustice, evil? Look at it in the face, not cower and go, I can face anything. Because he died and he rose. 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to kind of park ourselves. It's a really long chapter. I could only preach on like a third of it. Otherwise, you'd be here for three hours. So we're going to maybe, I don't know, spend 1 Corinthians 15 for the next two, three years. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Verse 2, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Right off the bat, I want to tell you something. Right off the bat, I want to tell you that Christianity is primarily, Christianity is primarily the proclamation, the announcement of a historical fact. Christianity is primarily a proclamation of a world-changing event. And only secondarily is it a way of life. Only secondarily is it some principles for living. Christianity, Paul says, is primarily a historical, world-changing, life-impacting fact. And this is so critical for us to stress today. See, for us, the word preaching conjures up all kinds of things, right? Preaching. Pulpit. Preaching. Some Asian dude shouting at me. (laughs) Preaching. For some of us, long, really long monologue. Preaching. It comes... All kinds of thoughts come to mind, but you need to know when Paul and the early Christians came along and they needed to find a word to sort of go, this Christian communication, what we're about, what we believe, what word do we use? They didn't come up with the word that you and I think of preaching. Word that meant, you know, teaching or spouting wisdom. They came up with this word, caruso. The word carex from which we had the word uh, preacher. Word carex was a word that literally meant a herald. Say herald. Or a a crier. Say a a crier. Why is that important? Here's how the news media worked in the ancient world. A herald or a crier would run into a town and go, there's a world-changing event. Like Caesar has been enthroned. And then he'd take that news or event, go to the center of town where there's an enormous billboard, and he'd nail this news on this billboard. That's what a herald or a crier did, news. Now, this is a little hard for us because we live in a day where when we think of news, there's two kinds of news. There's hard news, and then there's soft news. Anybody in the news media? Anybody? I know we have some people that work like producer for NBC. Yeah. Here, here's, here's the problem or the challenge. We have hard news and soft. Soft news it was, it's heartwarming stories. It's consumer tips. And we actually think it's news, you know. Experts reveal five ways to handle stress. Soft news. Celebrity X has come up with a new way to lose weight. Soft news. (laughs) It's news you could use. It's advice. It's life tips. Take it or leave it. Hard news is significant events that affect your life. And if you don't embrace it, it can leave you in the beyond. Hard news. What is hard news? A new administration has just been elected. They're not life tips. We're going to war. There's military action. New taxes have been passed. There's a fight. John Hancock is on fire. Hard news. A blizzard is on the way. Hard news. What is hard news? Hard news doesn't suggest Hard news affects you. 
Are you following so far? Hard news, world-changing events that affect you. It'll overtake you and run you down if you ignore it. So you got to understand, back then, they didn't, have, they didn't have heralds running into town and say, Now, for the style portion of the news, what are they wearing in Athens this spring? They didn't have news like heralds or criers running into town and go, here's what the philosophers in Athens are saying about how to deal with your stress and anxiety. No such thing. News, proclamation that Paul came preaching, that the early Christians came preaching, was simply Jesus died. And he rose. It's not advice. It doesn't suggest. It affects you. It affects you. Are you getting the sense of this? It affects you. If you don't embrace it, it can leave you behind. Let's apply this, shall we? This is the best news and the reason why I preach on this every Easter. The gospel, the essence of Christianity is good news and not advice. The gospel is not some moral principles for living. Come on, somebody. Is anybody? At the heart of the Christian message is news of an event, of something that's been done and not what you and I must do. Something has happened in history. Something has happened that's changed your status and the course of history forever. He died, but he rose again. Some of you are with me. The essence of all other religions is advice. It suggests to you, this is what you have to do. This is what you have to believe. This is how you live in order to be saved. And the gospel says, this is what's been done in history. He lived. He died. He rose for you. It's not about your past, but about his past. It's not about what you do, but it's about what's been done in history for you. Is this good news? This is the essence of Christianity. Please hear me. The essence of Christianity is not soft news. It's hard, good news. He has come. And he has done it all. He has done it all for you to be accepted. He lived the life you should have lived. He died the death you should have died. And by faith, regardless of what your life looked like, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how poorly you may have lived, in Christ, he has given a way for you to be accepted by God. That is good news and not advice. Amen? Something happened in history that changes everything. See, the thing I love about Christianity, it's in your face, but not in the way you think. It's a no-nonsense faith system. Christianity comes at you, it comes at you, and it comes at you, and it's relentless, and it will, it, you have to respond to it. You have to respond to it. Then Paul goes on and he says, For what I received, I passed unto you as of first importance. He's saying in order to get the benefits of the resurrection life, if it's really going to make a difference in your life, if it's really going to change you, here's the thing, you have to believe that it actually happened. You have to believe that it actually happened. And by the way, don't let anybody tell you that Christianity is blind faith. Just believe. Christianity says, look at the evidence. Look at the facts. Look at the evidence. Look at the facts. Look at the evidence. Look at the facts. So if you're not a Christian and somebody Christian goes, just believe, tell them. No, you have to look at the facts. You have to look at, tell me about the facts. Tell me about the evidence. And that's what Paul does. Verse 3, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and 
last of all, he appeared to me as the one abnormally born. You notice how Paul preaches? Do you notice? Do you notice how Paul preaches? He doesn't come as a philosopher. He comes as a herald. He doesn't offer moral advice. Paul doesn't preach. You know, if you really believe in Jesus and rest in him, you know, you know there's, a, there's a way for you to relieve your anxiety. There's a way for you, you know, deal with your worry. There's a way, you know, for you to get direction in life. Paul says, what? <laughs> Look at the evidence. Look at the facts. And I need you to know something. Paul and the early Christians went around Palestine, the Mediterranean world, and the Roman Empire saying this as their proclamation. There are hundreds of people, many of whom are still alive, who saw him. They saw him alive. They saw him alive. They saw him alive. Go talk to them yourself. See for yourself. And Paul is saying this like 20 years after during Pax Romana, when travel was easy all over the world, he's almost daring them going, oh, you won't believe me? Go talk to him. Go see him. There is no way that the early believers would have been this bold, this relentless, this successful, this public, unless they were sure that the tomb was empty and people saw the risen Jesus. You got to be tracking with me. Think about this. They needed both the empty tomb and the atmosphere. This is why. Because if it was only an empty tomb and no eyewitness sightings, people would have believed that the body was stolen. And there were many who tried to uphold this theory. The body, it never stuck. But if there had only been eyewitnesses who claimed to see him, but a body was still in the tomb... Uh, all them people would have been hallucinating. And by the way, it's really hard for 500 people to hallucinate at the same time. The tomb was empty, and people saw him. And these early Christians had the audacity. 20 years after going, you don't believe me? Go check out. Go talk to him. Okay, I think I will. Did you see him? We saw him. And these people died believing it. They were being thrown to the lions. You didn't see him. Oh, I saw him. They saw him. The tomb was empty. Let's apply this, shall we? Shall we? See, I've got a lot of people who say to me on Easter, can you preach heartwarming stories? The tulips are out. The sun is shining. You know, we'll tell people Jesus rose. So you could, you know, you don't have to worry. Jesus rose. You know, don't be anxious. You know, Jesus rose. So here's some tips to lose weight. No, no, I will not. I will not do that. Do you know why? I'll tell you why. People say to me, listen, if Christianity, you know, works for you, if it helps you, if it changes you, then it's true for you. And Christianity comes around and says, it's the other way around. Because it's true, it will change you. Because it's true, it can help you. Because it's true, it will work for you. Don't confuse the two. Christianity comes and says, Jesus Christ died and he rose from the dead. Do you know what that means? I was going to get to this later, but I'm going to get to it now. Do you know what that means? That means that when Christ rose, the future of God landed on earth. Hello, anybody? That means a hole was punched in the pitiless walls of this world, and into a world of decay came immortality. Into a world of darkness came light. And Christianity says, if that's true, then your sins could be forgiven. If that's true, then you could have a relationship with God. If that's true, then you can face cancer, death. You could face anything. If it's true. Don't ask, will it work for me? Ask, is it true? Let me put it this way. Christian or not, one of my dear brothers, one of my dear brothers in our church, Michael Mandu, he's Kenyan. He's in Kenya. And I talked, he called me on the phone. 
Some 147 Christian college kids, you hear about this, were murdered. And Michael is heartbroken and just completely devastated. Let me, t- let me ask you something. What do you think someone like Michael could anchor his hope in? Jesus Christ died, so you know, you don't have to be anxious anymore. Jesus Christ died, so you don't have to be worried anymore. The only way that you and I can look at that and have hope is believing that someday God is going to come back and he is going to administer justice and make all things right. You can clap for that. It's believing that someday God is going to come and make all things new. How else can you look at the devastation in this world and live? For some of you, how can you possibly look at your failures, your mistakes in the past, and today walk in boldness of going, God loves me unconditionally and I am accepted in him. How can you possibly walk with that kind of confidence unless you believe that he died and rose? How can you look at death? Have you seen anybody go to dust? I've seen, I've seen a body that had been buried for years on earth freak me out. I was like nine years old. Let me ask you something. As a Christian, how do you look at a body that's going to dust and say someday God is going to resurrect that? Are you kidding me? Don't ask, will it help? Will it work? Ask if it's what? True. Because if it's true, it will help. It will work for you. Not only does Paul say you have to believe that it happened, he also says you have to understand what it accomplished. The resurrection accomplished the end of something and the beginning of something. The end of something. In the beginning of something. Verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Church, I, 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 I could preach on this every week. I could preach on this verse, this truth every week. The resurrection of Christ means end of judgment, end of condemnation for you and me. Is that good news to anybody? Is there anybody here? I just got to ask. Is there anybody here who says, you know what, I have completely lived up to my standards and I have no regrets? Anybody? Everybody in this room knows we've failed in one way or another. Some of us have failed as parents to our children. Some of us have failed as children to our parents. Some of us have failed our friends. Some of us have failed as citizens. We fail. And you don't need a preacher to go, you have shortcomings. You know that too well. That's why you don't want to come to church. The preachers keep reminding you of your shortcomings. And you did it again. Thank you very much. We know our shortcomings all too well. And here's the thing. You know, the thing is, if we, if we, if we know that there isn't a judge who is some going to, someday going to put everything right. If we do not believe that there is a judge who is someday going to put everything right, who is going to judge impartially, there's no hope for the world. The funny thing is, during this week, I have lots of people going, I believe in a God of justice. I believe in a God who is going to judge impartially all the evil. But the problem is, if there's a judge who judges impartially the sin, evil, and injustice, the problem is that he is also going to judge who? Us. Your heart, my heart, impartially. There is a judge. This is the reason why at the end of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says we all fear death. There's not a single person here who doesn't fear death. If you fear death, you're lying. Do you know why we fear death? We fear death because we believe that death is not the end of it all. If we just died and poof, nothing. Why fear death? But we don't believe death is the end. We believe that at the end of death, there is something coming. And what is that? judgment and every single one of us lives with this angst if i die there's judgment 
I'm going to owe somebody something. There's a debt to be paid. Do you know why I could preach on this every Easter or every Sunday? Here's what the resurrection means. You ready? Resurrection means when we die, there is a judgment day. But the judgment has been paid for. All of it. <laughs> oh, it's so amazing. There is judgment day coming. You can be sure of that. And we owe a whole lot. But we could stand firm because he paid it. All of it. Oh, my gosh. The resurrection is God saying, pay in full across history and your entire life for all the world to see. And that means in the resurrection, there is the end of condemnation, end of judgment forever. I hate shopping. Do you know why? Because I dread, I dread, I dread what happens after. You shop, the lady goes, so do you want your receipt in your bag or do you want I, I never go put it in the back. Never. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because I take a little, I don't know, some, some evil pleasure in doing this. I go, no, give me the receipt. Give me the receipt. I take it in my hand. Because now I'm walking from the register to the door. There is, especially a place like Best Buy, some dude who stands at the door and goes, hey, 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 hey. You pay for that? And I take some pleasure. <laughs> And taking out my receipt and going, yes, sir, it's been paid for. I don't owe a penny. You got me, ZZ? The resurrection is God saying to you, that's your receipt. It's been paid for. And do you know why that's important? Because you and I get questions, not from the Best Buy security guard. You and I get questions from our hearts, from the enemy, the devil, and the world. The questions come even now. You're sitting in church. And the question they come and say, you're sitting in church. And look at the thoughts that are going through your mind. You're sitting in church. And you go, that girl's really cute. I wonder. Oh, I am in church for God out loud. It's Easter. What is wrong with me? You know who you are. There's grace for you. Can I be serious, though? Does anybody else hear this voice from the enemy? God loves you. God loves everyone but you. God's forgiven everyone, Peter, but you. Anybody else hear that voice? You and I get questions from the enemy. And you know what we're doing? We're wavering. We're waffling. Instead of taking out that receipt, which is the resurrection and saying to the enemy, to the world, and even to your heart, it's been paid for. I'm free. Is that good news? When's the last time you took out that receipt to your voice, to your heart, to the enemy and said, it's been paid for? Good Lord. How Paul says, if you are not, if Jesus Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. But you, Christ has been raised, which means you are not in your sin. But you are, check this out, in what? In Christ. You are in Christ. You and I are in Christ. That means when God the Father right now, 11, 11 10, 2015, April 5th, right now, when God the Father looks at you, guess what he sees? He sees a treasure. You need to hear this. When he sees you, if you're in Christ, he sees a gem. He sees a prince, a princess. He sees a son or a daughter who is going to inherit and rule with him forever. See, you and I don't believe this. We don't. That's why criticism, oh my gosh. Why, do criticism so, why, why does criticism hurt so much? Do you know what I'm talking about? Just a little criticism. Oh, I'm devastated. Then a little compliment. I'm on top of the world. Then I gained two pounds. I am such a horrible human being. Up and down and up and down and up and down. And the only thing that obliterates that dynamic is saying, I am 
in Christ. And when he sees me right now, he sees me as he sees his son. Perfect. Holy. Righteous. Accepted. Undisapprovable. I'm talking to you. I always want to go Asians, but I'm talking to everybody here. That constantly fear, that constantly long for, would somebody approve me? Would somebody approve of me? Would somebody approve of me? Would somebody approve of me? You need to know if you're in Christ, you are never, ever again disapprovable by the God. Oh, Lord. The end of judgment, end of, but there's beginning, there's beginning, beginning of something. 1 Corinthians 15, 20, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 21, 21, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Verse 24, then the end will come when he hands, oh, 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 this is, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, all authority, and all power. For he must reign again until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The resurrection doesn't prove that something is over. Resurrection reminds us that something has begun. What has begun? Two times here in this text, Paul says, Jesus is the first fruits, the first fruits. What was the first fruits? Anybody grow up on a farm? I did. Do you all know that I grew up on a farm? You don't believe me. I grew up on a farm until I was like eight in Korea, and then I came here, and then I, concrete jungle. But I grew up on a farm. Many of us look at this and go, well, what, what, what is first? If you live in an agrarian culture, first fruits was literally everything they depended on because it was the actual taste of the coming harvest. First fruits, that first tomato, that first piece of fruit. If it was great, you had an actual taste of the coming future harvest. When Paul says that the resurrected Jesus is the first fruits, good Lord, here's what he's saying. There is an eternal world where there is no more death. There is an eternal world where there's no more dying, no more injustice, no more evil, no more senseless murders. There is a world of beauty, of truth, There is a world of peace, shalom. There is a world, there is a world, a perfect world where you will run and never be weary. You will walk and never be faint. But everybody here knows that's the ideal world. And we live in the real world. And there is a big, fat, eternal concrete slab between the eternal world and the real world. Do you know what happened when Jesus rose? that eternal world broke through to the present world. Can I, say, can I say that again? That world that you and I long for, the resurrection of Christ, God punches a hole through the thick slab and in comes into our world of decay Immortality. In comes into our world of darkness, light. Do you realize that's what happened when Jesus rose? See, part of, I think, I think, I think, part of the challenge is you and I going, yeah, but, but, but look at our world today. Well, that's what I want to talk about. What does this mean? It means three things. One, spiritual transformation is possible. Spiritual transformation is possible. The resurrection life of Christ has come into you and me, and once it gets into you and me, it can't be stopped. It will not stop until eventually it purges your soul and your spirit of all imperfections and all sins. 
Paul literally says in Philippians 1 and Ephesians 1 that the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is where? Is where? It's in us. The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead has come into us. That means that you and I live in this old world with power from the new. That means that transformation is possible. I don't want anybody in this room to squirm out from under this because it makes me feel uncomfortable and it convicts me like nothing in the world. If this is true, that the resurrection power of Christ has come into us, then how dare we just give in to those bad habits? If this is true, that the resurrection power of God has come into your life, that means, and I will stake my life on this, we can break those bad habits. If the resurrection power has come into our lives, and I mean this seriously, is there any addiction that's too strong for the power of the resurrection life? Church, is there? Then why are we putting up with, why are we just giving into, well, this is the way it's always going to be. The resurrection of Christ reminds us that you don't have to live the way you used to live because you are not the person you used to be. I'm going to say it again. We're going to, I will say it. We will, we will, we as Christians will, listen carefully, take the word cope and get rid of it in our vocabulary. Can we do that? Because Jesus Christ didn't die and rose just so we can cope. He rose so that we could be victorious. Now, let me tell you something. This isn't some naive, well, Peter, you're saying, no, this is hard, this is grueling, this takes discipline, it requires community, and it requires us pressing in. But we do it with the assurance of God saying, I will never let you go. I will never let you go. You will stand uncondemnable, undisapprovable. So get believers around you. Press in. Get help. Get counseling. Get therapy. Talk to somebody. Walk with somebody. But don't you ever, don't you ever, don't you ever give up. Spiritual transformation oh, is possible. Is that good news? And secondly, physical renewal is promised. Physical renewal is promised. Paul is saying, just as Jesus was raised from the dead physically and literally, so I'm going to raise from the dead physically and literally. You need to know something. Christians don't believe that at the end we're just going to float around in in heaven like spirits, like angels with harps playing. We are going to be given, hallelujah, physical, literal, concrete, tangible bodies. Is that good news? You say, why, why does that matter, Peter? I'll tell you why it matters. Look at your misery today. Boy, he's just full of good news today. <laughs> Let's just be honest. You and I are not miserable just because of our souls. Yes, our souls are full of anger and disappointment, discouragement, fear. But our bodies are full of brokenness and misery. Our bodies are dying. Our bodies are decaying. And the Bible says it wasn't meant to be frail. It wasn't meant to be like that. Think about it. All underneath all the diets, which is just a desire for new bodies. Underneath all the makeup, which is a desire for new skin. Underneath all the materialism of buying things is a hunger for newness. There's a hunger in you and me for newness. And we're constantly striving in it. We look at life. Everything is decaying. And we're doing everything and anything. Spend all kinds of money and shinier, newer, and skinnier, and stronger, and toner, and blah, 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 blah. There's this hunger for newness. Because you and I know deep in our hearts, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Why do you think those fables and stories that we grew up with kids, it's so powerful even to our soul. We long for a world where things don't just 
get old and die and decay. We long for a world. We long for a realm. We long for a kingdom where things get newer and newer, fresher and fresher, and there is no decay. There is no dying. There is newness. There is freshness every second, every moment. Do you realize that that's what's promised in the resurrection? That's what's promised. There is a realm. There is a kingdom coming where things will get new. And I love, I love this, I love this picture in Isaiah. Well, you will run. Anybody weary? Can you imagine the day when you will run? Oh man, I run half a half a half a mile, and I'm like, I'm tired. But the Bible says you will run and never be weary. Anybody looking forward to that? That you will walk and never faint. Do you know why this is good news? Because of what you believe about the future will affect your present. Unless that future is real to you, it will affect everything about how you live in the present. Why is it so hard to face suffering? Why is it so hard to sacrifice? Why is it so hard to do the right thing when you and I know it's going to cost us money, it's going to cost us our reputation, it may even cost us our life? You know why? Because we think, even as Christians, this world is the only world we'll ever have. We think this body is the only body we'll ever have. We think this money, this house, this is all we're ever going to have. But what if the resurrection truth broke into your life and you realize that what's promised for us is a body that will be perfect, concrete, tangible, and will live forever? How would this affect your life if you thought this body, this life, this world is not the only world we're ever going to have. There is coming a world in which I will live forever. You know what it caused the early believers to do? They, as they were thrown to the lions, saying, why? Death, you're just going to make me stronger. Death used to be an executioner. You're just going to make me the gardener. Death, oh death, where is your sting? They were able to look at death. Church, I want to ask you something. Is this future real to you? Is this future real to you? Is this future real to you? Because it's to the extent that future is real to you, you can look at death, you look at sacrifice, you look at laying down your life for somebody in a way that says, this world isn't all there is. There is newness coming. And you can live your life radically. Third, Cosmic restoration is coming. Cosmic restoration is coming. The word kingdom is the word administration. It's the word for justice. Easter reminds us that we don't have to wonder, will God do something about the evil in the world? The answer, church, is yes. We don't have to wonder, will God do something about the injustice in the world? Will God do something about the sickness in the world? The resurrection assures us that God's not out to just give us new humanity but a brand new world. This is why Christians care about this world. This is why we care about this world. God's new world has been unveiled in Christ Jesus, and all of creation is going to be renewed and restored. This is why we fight against poverty. This is why we fight against disease. This is why we fight against injustice. This world matters. There is material newness coming, and we want to be part of the program and work with God. One of the quotes that I hate There's a quote that says Christianity is the opiate of the people. Christianity properly understood can never be the opiate of the people. Do you know why? Because the Bible doesn't say just save their souls. It doesn't matter if they're hungry. Eastern view says the physical is just an illusion. Western view says physical is bad. Resurrection says that God is going to renew and restore this world someday. So resurrection doesn't mean an escape from this world. Resurrection means mission into the world. Christianity is a fighting religion. Is that good news? It's a fighting religion. Because we look at hunger and we go, that's not acceptable. We fight to eradicate it. We look at sickness and go, that's not acceptable. We fight to eradicate it. We know that God cares so much about it that he came and did that. And that says, I care. This is why if you're not a Christian today and you really care about justice, oh, you should want to be a Christian. Do you know why? What do you think at the end of this will be? If you're just a secularist that says, nothing, then why work? 
Why work for restoration now if all of this is going to amount to nothing? Christianity says all the work that you do right now, God is going to come and finish it someday. So don't you want to be a part of it? Oh, man. Does that clap mean like finish, Peter? I'm going to be done. Okay, I'm almost done, like in two minutes. Grace, come on up. Grace, come on up. This is the reason why resurrection believers, to me, will make the best healers, the best reconcilers, the best lovers of people and God. Resurrection people see that the future of God has landed, which means incredible power is available to do all sorts of things. But, everybody say but. It's only the first fruits. It's only the beginning. There's the already and the not yet. God hasn't come in its fullness. Oh, you need to hear this. God hasn't come in its fullness. There's still tons of brokenness. There's still death. There are all kinds of problems in the world still. And resurrection people, resurrection people, resurrection people don't live in the spectrum of I am cynical or I'm naive. Resurrection people live solidly rooted in this present world even as they look towards the future. See, some of you have given up hope. You have become cynical. You know who you are. I see you every Sunday. You've lost, you've lost hope. You've, you've hardened yourself because you watch too much news. I'm preaching to myself, by the way. You've hardened yourself because you don't want to be disappointed. But resurrection people don't give up hope. And they don't become cynical. They don't become hardened. Resurrection people. I'm going to introduce a new vocabulary. Ready? Resurrection people are hopefully impatient. Hopefully impatient. (laughs) I am really good at one of these two. Can you tell which one I'm really good at? (laughs) Resurrection people, hopefully impatient. What do I mean? With hope, you say to your friends, You could be better than this. With hope, you say to yourself, you could be better than this. And Daniel, we join you as we look at Chicago and go what? Chicago, you could be better than this. Are you with me? You look at the world and with hope you go, you could be better than this. You stay hopefully impatient and you don't give up. You don't give up. You don't just go, well, I prayed for him and he didn't change. Oh, good God, what are you, Jesus? <laughs> Not even Jesus could do that. No, seriously, how many of us are disillusioned right now because the change isn't coming right? Da, 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 da. Are you cynical or naive or are you anchored in the hope that is in Christ Jesus? So, resurrection people, don't give up on their marriages. Because you look at your marriage and you go, we could be better than this. You look at your small group and you go, we could be better than this. And yeah, you look at the world and you go, world, you could be better than this. But you're also not naive. Please don't go around spouting simple pat answers. Everything is fine. Everything will be great. Because then somebody needs to smack you down to reality and go, come on down to earth. Join us. <sighs> not cynical, not naive, but hopefully, hopefully, hopefully impatient. A lot of you are going to go from naivete to cynicism because you weren't listening to this sermon, as it were. A good number of you will gather here on Friday night And we said this, when darkness seemed to rule out even the potential of hope, when darkness on Good Friday seemed to rule out even the potential of hope, today we remember that hope won. Somebody, today, Good Friday, we wept, we mourned, and we said, is hope, darkness is going to over. Today we remember that hope won. Is this hope operating in your life? Is this hope operating in your life? Let me leave you with this, Romans 8, 18. For I reckon, and I chose this translation on purpose because I love that word, I reckon. 
I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. Do you know what the word reckon means? It means to add up. It means to think. Christian hope is not something that operates automatically. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and, ooh, I'm filled with hope. You have to reckon it. You have to add it up. You have to think it. You have to drive it. You could face tomorrow and this week with defiance or hope. Defiance says, I'm just not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. It's not going to bother me. But why are you talking like that? He's not gonna, I'm not bothered by it. You are bothered by it. I'm not going to think about it. You know what hope says? Hope says, don't think less. Hope says, think more. Hope says, did he die? Hope says, was there a spear thrown into his side? Hope says, did anybody find the body in that empty tomb? Hope says, do you realize that you've already been given gifts? Hope says, do you realize that the divine nature of God resigned to you? Hope says, do you realize that one day we will rule and reign with God forever? Hope says, think. 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 If you believe that Christ is now in control of history, there's always hope. Our bad things will turn to good. Our good things can never be taken away from us. And the best is yet to come. Oh, the best is yet to come. <laughs> the early Christians didn't do what they did because they were just better people or sterner stuff. or they just No, they looked at the resurrection. They said, I reckon he did that for me. I reckon, I think, I add. If you're not a Christian, you came today, I'm so glad you're here. If you're sitting there going, man, Peter, I, 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 I wish, I wish that God could forgive someone like me. I wish my past could be forgotten. I wish I had that assurance that y'all are talking about, but I have just done something. You know what's amazing about that? Do you know the first two people that Paul mentions? He mentions Peter and James specifically as the people that Jesus wanted to see. Peter. The guy that said, I don't know him. First guy. It's just the way he is. You've denied him. You've rejected him. You're not good enough for him. Jesus says, I might want to see you first. Not to yell at you. But to forgive you. And to love you. For those of you that came today and be like, I was hoping some Hallmark card heartwarming stories. Y'all, you just talked about facts and doctrine. Do you know why? The question is, is it true? Is he who he says he is? Did he do what he did? Because if that's not true, none of this matters. But if he did die and rise, he could face anything. Pray with me, church. Oh, man. <laughs> this may sound totally just like crazy and inappropriate maybe at this time, but if you are sitting there and you're just grateful and thankful for what Christ has accomplished for you, will you just, just clap? Just clap as worship. Just clap. Praise. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs>